Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal for the month of December 2021. Welcome to episode 79 of this podcast series, a.k.a. Since the World Changed Journal number 22. Remember when we thought 2021 was going to be okay? Yeah, maybe not so much. The concept of the show is to just have a brief chat about what comics I read since the last time I did one of these episodes, and we had one of these chats. And that should make this pretty much the books I read during December. These are listed weekly in blog posts at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and I regularly repost them on my Facebook and Twitter, so you can find those. But those posts are not exactly spoilers for the podcast, since those are just lists. And here, there's a little more review, a little more critique, and a little more discussion. But first, a little feedback. I mentioned that one of the issues I recently read had a bunch of ads for the Dragon Strike game. And we heard from podcast host Clinton Robison about how that felt like synergy to him. Funny you should mention those ads being so prevalent on a recent reading journal. A Dragon Strike comic is coming up soon on the Days of High Adventure. That is very interesting, Clinton, and I've noticed that if you listen to enough comic podcasts and read enough comics, which clearly both Clinton and I do, You run across these strange coincidences all the time. It's even weirder when you're catching up on an old podcast. You're reading something in 2021, and someone is talking about it in 2018. But like I said, that happens all the time. Clinton also added that he agreed with my befuddlement over a particular issue. When you got to the what if issue commentary, all I could do was nod and say, yep, same here. (laughs) Drew, from Comics for Fun and Profit, said that he was looking forward to us finally getting to War Books last month as part of our monthly cycle through the genres. Hope you enjoyed that, Drew. Herman, from Into the Weird, also said he'd been waiting for that episode, for that genre. Kirk Spencer, expressed his satisfaction with the episode in a very gif-tastic way. And social media support for last episode came from Sir Luke of the Upstate, Jeremiah the Notorious JJG, Charlton Hero, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Pulp Ticker Tape, Edmore from Teal Productions, Chris Lydon 7, The Telltale Mind, Karen from Between the Pages, James, from Karen, Max from the Weird Warriors podcast, Manuel Carmona from Buy Indie Comics Day, Pelican State John, Sir I Was Joe, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Spooky Fanzine, the Deer Watchers podcast, Nick Wetmore, Derek, Derek WC from the Fanholes, Pat Samson from the Longbox Crusade, Chris Willette, Matt Ev, Vic in Phoenix, Trevor Owen Williams, And our current, but only for about 30 or 35 minutes, I'd guess, listeners of the year, the Count 
and Countess of the Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network, but more about that later in the episode. For now, we need to move on to the books I read last month. And as we do on the Reading Journal, we categorize those books, and first up are the issues that I read specifically to do podcasts. The Homework Books. For Quarterbin 177, I read a book voted on by my Twitter friends and enemies, World's Finest 277, and for 178th for next month's spoilers, hashtag sci-fi comics month episode, I read Eternity Smith, number three, from Hero Comics. And comics for listening to podcasts. These are Mostly read through the DC app, because I love following along with comic book podcasts when I have the chance. And the app gives me opportunities to do that, as do all of my friends who do DC-related podcasts. So, to listen along with Shag on an episode of the Justice League Blah 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 podcast, I read Justice League America 43. And for listening along with older episodes of Rob Meyer's Robin podcast, everyone loves the trick. Catching up on his coverage of the Robin series, I read Robin 4 through 7, written by the excellent Chuck Dixon. And to listen along with Laurel, aka Mountain Flower, and her crew on episodes 64 and 65, I read a JSA JLA crossover story in Justice League of America 184, in which the teams. Take on Darkseid. And then also a story with a totally different vibe, Batman and Robin Adventures, number 19. And to follow along with Angela, on Wonder Woman Warrior for piece 53, I read the big all-American comic book number one, of which she was the lead story in an adventure about Steve being framed for murder. And I went ahead and read the rest of the issue, all 100-plus pages of it. And my favorites were the Western story starring The Whip, and a really good Joe Kubert Hawkman story where the Winged Wonders fought a heat-based villain. And let's just say, asbestos to the rescue. And on the new comics that we read right off the shelves, And there is one. An actual, honest-to-gosh, floppy comic book. Sorry, I know that offends people. I mean, sorry, an issue printed on actual physical paper, folded and stapled, that when you hold it in your hand and read it, you know it, it sort of flops over. So the one of those that I read was the first issue in the latest miniseries from one of my favorite comic book characters, Lady Mechanica, the monster in the Ministry of Hell, number one of four. The prior seven volumes of Lady M's Tales were self-published by Joe Benitez, but for this one, she has moved over to Image. And if the existence of those prior volumes sounds scary, don't worry. 
This issue really is a good jumping-on point with Lady M telling, for the first time, her origin story, how she came to be the Victorian era's leading steampunk hero or monster, depending on your point of view. And I will say, as a content warning, that this issue is a little gruesome. Some body horror went on in Lady M's past. Now, in addition to that origin telling, I don't totally know where the story is going, what it's going to entail beyond that in the next three issues. But whatever that is and wherever it goes, I am in. And we got a current issues via Hoopla from ongoing Boom series. First up, the Keanu Reeves property, Berserker! Number six. This was a bit of a change of pace issue, told almost exclusively from the Berserker's perspective. He talks to a war comrade about his history, why he fights, why he has to fight, and how everything across his tens of thousands of years of life have brought him to where he is, emotionally, but also physically, the exact location that they're fighting in is one he has been to many, many times in his long life. And then on the last page or two, we see the dark forces pulling his strings that they are ready to make a serious move. And also House of Slaughter, number two. It's still early, but I'm going to need a character and a specific dramatic storyline to really get myself bought in, to get myself involved. World building is good, and this world is very intricate, very involved, very well developed. But if I were paying full price for this as a story first person, I'm not convinced I'd be fully, 100% satisfied. And on to the general comic reading that I did from World's Greatest Comics at three for a dollar. Some falling apart copies of Supergirl 1 and 10. Before I started, I asked our friend and Supergirl superfan and expert, Dr. Ange, how I should set my expectations for this 1970s book. He said he liked Art Saif's art and called the stories bonkers. I like them both. And Prez! Because that's right, issue 10 features the first teen president. But first, let me get to issue 1, which establishes Linda Danvers as a college student with a mysterious roommate. And let me just say that if you did not have a mysterious roommate in college, maybe you were the mysterious roommate in college. I'm just saying. And then in issue 10, Supergirl protects Prez from assassination attempts before, thanks to Voodoo, initiating an assassination attempt herself. Fun stories love the silver slash Bronze Age sensibilities. Manuel Carmona from the nonprofit effort Comics for Christmas sent in some issues recently, including Unfollow, number three a Vertigo book from 2016. In a reference to the original limitation of Twitter, 
a super rich fellow invites 140 characters to an island where he promises them each an equal share of his wealth upon his death. Meaning that the fewer of them that are alive at that point, the more each will inherit. You could sort of call this an incentive towards violence. It's an interesting setup and a good issue. And from Kirk Spencer in a very nice Christmas care package that included some homemade fudge. Thank you, Mrs. Spencer. He also sent some comics, including Shadow Man number 10 from the original Valiant Run in 1993. It was falling apart, so that's the first one I read. It was certainly the 90s. I'll give this comic that much. It knew what decade in which it was created. And sticking, I guess, with the extremities of the 90s, he sent a Rob Liefeld flipbook, Youngblood Strike Force number one. The stories need some help, but the half drawn by Jay Lee was really impressive. Dark, harsh lines that really fit the story, such as the story was, but really impressive art. So that half of that half of the issue was pretty darn good. Dead Man Logan, number five of 12, from 2019. Alternate timelines, lawless wastelands, and all that stuff. And this issue, Mysterio holds his own pretty well against Logan and Hawkeye and a few others. Not bad. I mean, really, Mysterio at the top of his game. Kirk also sent a Marvel Digest that focused on the character Ant-Man and reprinted issues that included Marvel Adventures Superheroes 6 and 10 and Marvel Universe Avengers 17. These are kid-appropriate stories and pretty good ones. We have Hank Pym going up against Psycho Man and Sandman while struggling to sell his inventions to Van Dyne Tech, despite Janet Van Dyne having a bit of a crush on him. Then we get a story adapted from the animated series in which Luke Cage and Iron Fist are hired to hunt down the missing Ant-Man suit. Good mixes of humor, excitement, and just clean fun. Now, a while back, Kirk sent me a big stack of Nexus comics, the series from Mike Barron and Steve Rude. I know the series is very well thought of, and I like Mike Barron, so I decided to grab the first few and give them a read. That would be Nexus 2 and 3 from Capital Comics. And like I said, this was a big stack, and I was planning on reading more, but the reason I only read these two was not that I did not find them enjoyable. Far from it. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with these. But I stopped because I didn't realize just how heavy a sci-fi concept this title was, being beyond just a superhero title. And certainly the lines between superhero and sci-fi can be pretty close and pretty porous. But since January is hashtag Sci-Fi Comics Month, I decided to stop with these two issues and pick up reading a chunk more next month. Kirk also has sent in some books that were crowdfunded efforts. 
and I read a collection of comic strip-style stories. Dunce. Good Boy of the Year, a fun bunch of gag strips. And yes, Dunce could be an interesting name for a pet. It's a dog in this case. But as someone who once had a cat named Nerd, I really can't judge. And some kids' books that I read. A lot of these came from Pulp Reality, some also from Sir Rob Lance. And I read a pretty good amount. Pep, 244, 315, and 350. Life with Archie, 33, Around the World with Archie. Archie, 100, 189, 296, 272, 468, and 639. Betty and Veronica, 61. Sad Sack and the Sarge, number 41. Dilton's Strange Science, number four. Uncle Scrooge Adventures, number three. And Treasure Chest of Fun and Fact, volume eight, issue 15, and volume 14, issue seven, both of which were from the 1950s. The Archie Around the World special was an extra-sized issue that sent the gang first to the UN in New York and then to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., but it's told as a series of two- to six-page vignettes, which help to break the story up and also gives you a chance to focus briefly on different characters, different scenes, different setups for gags, frankly. But it also tells this one big, massive school trip story. So it's very good, very well organized and edited and put together, assembled a comic book. All right, time to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about the graphic novels, trade paperbacks, long runs, and seasonal reads that I read in December. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school. Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! Yeah! The Comic Book Time Machine, a journey back in time to explore comic books, good and bad, whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. And we're back to talk about trades, long runs, miniseries, and seasonal reading that I did last month. So for this time of year, that means some Christmas and holiday-based comics for hashtag Holiday Comics Month. In roughly alphabetical order, I read Archie and Friends' Christmas Calamity, number one. An issue with one new story and then three reprints, which is common practice for a lot of Archie books. The new story features the Calamity which is that all of the reindeer and elves are sick on Christmas Eve, and Jingles the Elf comes to Riverdale to ask the gang for last-minute help, and even Reggie lends a helpful hand. Now, just so you know, there's going to be a lot of Archie in this particular segment, such as Archie Christmas Classics which collects stories from across the width and breadth 
of Archie's comic history. A lot of stories of Archie and the gang helping the less fortunate, also doing good deeds around the town, and even Mr. Lodge gets in on the holiday cheer. Veronica, not quite as often. A good collection. In Christmas Spectacular number one, which is a collection of much more recent stories. I say that based on the character models. My favorite of these stories was the one where both Betty and Veronica are upset about Archie's choices for his Christmas presents for them, but Jughead manages to switch things around so each is satisfied like a helpful Christmas elf. Good, clean, fun. Archie Giant Series Magazine, 479, 491, 503, and 515. Archie Giant Series is a catch-all title that the publisher uses for concepts and ideas that don't have a home otherwise, including these annual Sabrina's Christmas Magic issues. I like the mix of themes of the witches and Christmas. Sometimes Della, the head witch, and the ants, they don't mind Christmas. Sometimes they, they fight Christmas. My favorite recurring Sabrina bit in these issues, maybe more so in a holiday theme, is her managing to do good works, helping people in the spirit of the season, while also satisfying her aunt's wishes that she do bad. But the best single story in here is where the ants are caught actually helping Santa make his rounds. Turns out, that he needs a little help getting down chimneys, not waking up the kids, and just helping get all those houses knocked out in one night. It makes sense if you just think about it. And while we're here, Pep Digital 3665, 119, and 121, which are titled, respectively, Archie's Christmas Spirit Holiday Shopping Archie Meets Santa and New Year's Resolution. I know, I know that last one would be January for New Year's Resolutions, but I'm counting New Year's as part of the hashtag holiday comics month holiday season. So there, uh, between all of these collections, lots of stories featuring Jingles the Christmas Elf, adventures regarding trimming the tree, and Veronica having to learn the true meaning of Christmas over and over again. And lots, and lots of takes on the rhyme scheme of Twas the Night Before Christmas. There must be at least one of those per year, as often as those types of stories, that concept, gets reprinted in these collections. My favorite story in here, and I think I mentioned this last year too because it does get reprinted, is Veronica having two boxes of Christmas decorations in her attic, a box marked A and a box marked B. Archie shows up in the afternoon of Decoration Day, is sent up to grab the A box, and he makes a total mess of Lodge Manor. And then in the evening, Betty comes over, and with the items in the B box, decorates the place beautifully. Another good one was the gang doing their shopping at the mall, but then getting snowed in by a blizzard with all the staff there and other uh, Riverdale uh, shoppers, and making do with the supplies there at the mall, turning it into a large community 
Christmas feast and celebration. And all of that worked out fine until a few days later, Mr. Lodge gets the bill for all the stuff they used and bought and ate that night. The New Year's collection was also solid. Lots of stories about resolutions and New Year's Eve parties and New Year's kisses. And in that one, even Katie Keene makes a few appearances. Related, Betty and Veronica's Christmas Spectacular, which was a floppy that I picked up at Pulp Reality actually here in December. So a very appropriately timed purchase. Favorite story was about all the kids at Riverdale changing their behavior, trying to enter the season on the nice list. Except for Betty, nobody notices any change in her at all. And then they realize, of course, she's super nice all year long. Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor Holiday Special, which is one of the very few, I don't think only, but very few, issues I've read with the Jodie Whittaker version of the Doctor. And with the history of holiday specials that the New Who TV show has, I had hopes that this would be pretty good. In this one, the Doc and Yaz and Graham and Ryan all have different sets of memories for a particular shared experience. And that sets them off on an adventure to figure out why. It's a good issue, a good story, but it doesn't end. It's the start of a larger arc. And maybe I'll pursue that story later, but I did not jump to it uh, right here. Grim Fairy Tales 2014 Holiday Special. I've read very little Zinoscope in the last year or so. And since they also have annual holiday specials, it seemed like a decent time to drop back in. In this one, Sela tells her friends the legend of Krampus, while also having a confrontation herself with that beast of legend. And then one that Kirk Spencer sent me, which I could just as well have covered last month, the Half Past Danger Christmas special. You see, it's the story of a military unit in 1944 swapping Christmas stories some of which are dramatic and emotional, some of which are science fictional, and one that even involved dinosaurs. Each chapter was titled with the name of a Christmas carol, which was a nice touch, excellent art, and a bunch of good stories. Klaus and the Witch of Winter and Klaus, the Life and Times of Joe Christmas. I've read parts of this series in the past and enjoyed them. This is Grant Morrison and Dan Mora, who've put together an interesting version of Santa Claus, someone who is a combination of various legends. And in the Witch of Winter story, Geppetto also gets brought in. That's a very good story. The Life and Times of Joe Christmas is a silent story, presented as a series of splash pages in Advent calendar form, telling the story of Joe Christmas from Klaus adopting him as a baby, and the adventures of his life, that I found to be a very inventive use of seasonal holiday concepts and imagery. Laurel and Hardy, Christmas Follies, which I got as part of a humble bundle of American mythology digital comics a few years back, which worked out to about 15 to 20 cents each. I don't have much experience with the total oeuvre, of Laurel and Hardy, 
And maybe that's why I found this one to be pretty lackluster. Mary Stoogemus, another one from that same American mythology bundle. And similar to Stan and Ollie, I don't have a lot of experience with the Stooges, except as bits of the historical American pop culture landscape. There are two new stories in here and one classic reprint. And I think the older one was my favorite. This one overall was much funnier, much better than the Laurel and Hardy one. Can't really put my finger on why, but both the Christmas material and the humorous material worked so much better in Mary Stoogemus. And the last one, Mickey and Donald Christmas Parade 1 and 2, which are collections of stories that first appeared in various European Disney mags, so I hadn't read any of these before. Scandinavia and Italy, in particular, have remained constant hotbeds of interest for Mickey, Donald, Scrooge, and the gang. My favorite single one from this collection was a story from Sweden in which Santa has been declared illegal through time travel shenanigans, uh, no fault of his own. And Mickey and Donald and Gyro and the whole gang have to work together to discover the villain behind the whole plot, the Phantom Blot, and then rescue Santa and return Christmas to its rightful role as a joy-filled celebration. And there was also quite a solid super goof story in there as well, and those are always fun. There was another fun story where the Beagle Boys try to mess up Christmas, but they are stopped. And then they are offered the chance to not go to prison right away that night if they agree to sing in the community choir. Someone worries that they're just going to escape until we get to the last page and see that the community choir is entirely made up of, I mean, other than the Beagle Boys, everyone else in the choir is a uniformed police officer. So no real worries about them escaping. So that was a fun selection of seasonal reading, I think. Next month, for your planning purposes, January is hashtag sci-fi comics month. So the rest of the comics I read in December, and about six years ago maybe, the first time that I met the irredeemable Shag, he met up with me and a number of local nerds for an evening of cheap comics and barbecue. And from those quarter bins he found and handed me, made me purchase Dr. Fate 1 through 5 of 5 from 2004. And since I have such high respect for Shag and his thoughts, uh, his comments, uh, his recommendations, I rushed out and only six years later decided to read these. And they weren't bad. This is Hector Hall in the Fate suit although Naboo is not convinced that he's worthy of the mantle. And when an enemy that even Naboo fears arrives, the forces of order find themselves at great risk. And Hector has the chance to prove that he deserves to be Dr. Fate. Good read, worth the wait. In terms of the rest of what I read, Hoopla had some bonus borrows in November, specific items that did not count against the monthly allocation. And so I grabbed a few of those and read them in December, including 
a collection that had Wolverine Old Man Logan 1 through 4 and Old Man Logan Giant Size number 1. This was rough and tumble, blood and guts, like a lot of blood and a surprisingly high amount of guts. A story of a future Logan coming back to stop the impending supervillain uprising. But the people he runs across, including old man Steve Rogers and Kate Bishop Hawkeye, don't know what to make of him in his story, but he has a mission, people to stop, and he ain't going to let anyone get in his way. Hulk tries to get in his way in the giant size special, and that doesn't go particularly well for the Hulk, let's just say that. That was a bloody gory story. And if that works for you, check out all the old man books from Marvel. To me, I put them in the category of Elseworlds types of stories, and this one I thought was actually, violence aside, or maybe violence because, I thought it was pretty good. And also from the recent 2019 run, I read Ghost Rider 1-4 through and also Absolute Carnage, Symbiote of Vengeance. That was a one-shot. So here we have Johnny Blaze in charge of Hell, having seized power from Mephisto, but beings have been working behind his back. I know, it's shocking that demons and folks in hell would behave in such an underhanded way. You see, folks have been escaping from hell. So Johnny heads back Earthside to capture the escapees, and he needs Danny Ketch's help. But Danny is busy drinking himself to death in the bar that he owns. It's a good setup. There's a wild art, of course and an interesting start to a comics run. I'll add this to the long list of series, I hope, I mean plan, to eventually read more of. And that's what 2022 is for. And over on the DC side, from the Rebirth era, I read Batman Beyond Rebirth Special, and then 1 through 5. There were some things to like about this, including a Matches Malone reference. I am always up for those. And I liked the Batman Beyond TV show, so I was up for living in this futuristic world. But two things worked against it. One, it just doesn't seem like this was a future enough of a world. As a fan of sci-fi, I've read and seen plenty of stories taking place in various futuristic scenarios, but this one was just kind of bland. And not like washed out as part of the motif of that future, but just bland in terms of not much going on futuristically. But the worst part is that we move however many decades into the future this is, and the core of the first storyline is Batman versus Joker. And it's not even future Batman versus future Joker, it's old man Joker, actual Joker versus actual old man Batman. And moving decades into the future, that was not the story I wanted to read. And from Kirk Spencer, a trade paperback that he got on a hot date with his wife to Ollie's, of characters I read a bunch of last year. This was 2012's New Crusaders 1-6, through which introduced legacy versions of the classic MLJ and Archie heroes, kids of the originals, as a matter of fact. So we get a new Jaguar, a new Web a new comet, a new fly girl, all forced into action 
by the old original shield after their old enemy, the Brain Emperor, attacks a Crusader's reunion. It's a good story overall with lots of fun Easter eggs. The retired Crusaders live in the town of Red Circle, and the government agency involved with them is the MLJ. Good origins presented, good characterization, good adventure, good trade. And from Manuel Carmona, I read Checkmate 15-18, through 18, parts of the Janus Directive. I've read that story before, and it's pretty good to cross over with Suicide Squad and a, and a few other titles. So only reading these bits, the Checkmate bits, was a little weird. But it was good enough that I could follow the story around pretty well. And those distant bits that were way back in my memory banks helped also. But it's a good story overall to me, and it's always good to see the DC Cobra crime organization getting a good story. Manuel sent a bunch more Checkmate issues from this run. And you know what? That's what 2022 is for. And from Pulp Reality, I read Logan's World 2 through 6. These are not sequels to the Logan's Run movie, but are supposedly based on author William Nolan's sequel novel, Logan's World. So connections to the movie are just in character work and world building, but it definitely goes in different directions. Uh, This is from Malibu from the early days when they did mostly black and white books, which this is. And there's a bit of a manga influence in the art, which is not my favorite. But the character of Logan and his love for Jessica were enough to keep me engaged, mostly. And from the DC app, I read another take on my favorite B-list. Let's be honest, C-list characters. Okay, D-list, I get it, all right? From earlier this year, I read Man Bat 1 through 5 by Dave Walgotz and Sumit Kumar. In this version... Kirk Langstrom is doing research on bats to help cure his deaf sister. But in his fixation on that goal, he doesn't even notice that Francine is slowly moving her things out of their place. In his man's bat form, he tries to do good, wants to do good, but is just a little too out of control to really do any good. Batman's heart is soft towards Kirk but he can't let him injure people in places in public. There are a lot of takes on Man Bat, both in comics and, of course, the animated series. And I'm a fan of all of them. I think this is a case of, in podcasting's Michael Bailey totally gets this. This is a case of Batman from the 30s to the 70s bias. Because the first Man Bat appearance from Detective 402 was reprinted in that hardcover. So I read it, like, conservatively 17 million times when I was a kid. And that imprinted on me how important Man-Bat is, which is not true, but also how cool Man-Bat is. And that is absolutely true. So as always, I'm glad I read this one. Good concept, good idea, good comics. Sir, I was Joe in his most recent a Christmas care package, a sent an issue or two that drove me to the DC app to finish up a particular run. This was the digital first series challenge of the Super Suns 1 through 7. I'd read the prior two Super Suns minis, and they are delightful. 
Peter J. Tomasi also wrote this series, so it had the same dynamics between the characters, which is the secret sauce to the Super Sons. This one is one long storyline featuring Vandal Savage, who sends the Sons through time and space, and also brings them into contact with other members of the DCU, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and others, who are not always up for their particular brand of super heroic shenanigans. But again, a very fun series. Joe also sent some recent Walking Dead books, including Negan Lives, and then the colored issues of the Walking Dead Deluxe 2, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 11. The Negan book was a nice one-off, giving us Negan and all his fullness, boisterous, loud, violent, street smart, just a little bit soft-hearted towards his Lucille, both versions of Lucille. Interesting one-off story, the colored versions of the original stories, in addition to being a, and I mean this with respect, a cash grab, and theoretically a reason for folks to head back to the comic shop. I really enjoyed the black and white versions of these books, especially these early ones. So these color versions, they were improvements in a few ways, but something was also lost. One of the problems I had with the original issues was that there were so many people in the cast, and a lot of them I had trouble distinguishing. But here, the visual cues of hair-colored clothing choices, those made for keeping people straight a lot easier. And it was fun visiting the old crew, like Tyrese and Shane and Andrea, Herschel. Yes, a cash grab. And yes, pretty good comics. And if you, or anyone you know, was put off by the black and whiteness of the OG version of The Walking Dead, here is a chance for a full-color, more traditional comic-looking version. He also sent some books from the Injustice property which I've never played, but I think M might have. We have a few issues lying around, again, probably in M's collection. And between those and these, I ended up reading Injustice Gods Among Us 9 and 10, and then Injustice Year 2, 1 through 5, 10 through 12. I might be in the minority of my podcasting comic book buddies, but I don't mind alternate takes on these characters, or any of my favorite characters. I've read many contradictory takes on Sherlock Holmes. And though I don't love them all, I understand them all. I know why they exist, why other people create them and enjoy them. So this take, even though it's dark, and I get why we're sick of that. I'm sick of dark for dark's sake. But I thought that these issues, generally speaking, had enough character elements that I recognized, asked interesting questions. And it was just delivered in a high enough quality format for me. I thought these were pretty good reads. And the issues did get me thinking about just how timely the message in the Injustice books is. And how it was, in essence, a cautionary tale. Because in this, you have two groups of people, heroes, white hats all but folk identifying themselves with different worldviews, different takes on how society should operate, what laws should be in place, what laws should be enforced and not enforced, the treatment of offenders, policing practices, modes of punishment, etc. 
all of those different viewpoints, different leaders, make for different factions. Friends become opponents, become adversaries, become enemies. When you dehumanize those you disagree with, demonize them, emotional harassment, public harassment and online harassment, physical violence, it becomes inevitable. It is a sad story more than anything else in justice. And I think it's sadly true to life. And I think that's everything. In terms of my favorite reads of the month, Challenge of the Super Sons was good. Those early Walking Dead issues are hard to beat, even in color. The Klaus silent issue was good. Some of the Archie Christmas tales were quite good. But in terms of what I thought was my favorite, come on. One of my favorite characters had a new number one this month. So this choice is easy. Lady Mechanica, the monster in the Ministry of Hell, number one. My favorite read of the month. Now that's usually where these reading journal episodes end. But this is not just a month-end episode. It's a year-end episode. So after one more break, we'll talk about the year in review, listeners of the year, and maybe a few thoughts about our plans for 2022. Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the Fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanhole soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. And we're back with the end of the year celebration and report portion of the episode. First up, the celebrating part. We will be honoring a number of listeners for outstanding achievement in the field of listening and stuff. We have three new members of the roundtable to induct and a pair of co-listeners of the year to celebrate. But first, we must thank our current listeners of the year, the kind and lovely Sutherlands, for agreeing 12 months ago to extend their year-long appointment another 12 months and taking on that burden for an additional year. A sacrificial decision that we appreciate and esteem. Countess Ruth and Count Darren, thank you for your service to the realm. And we thought it only appropriate to appoint a pair of listeners of the year now to replace the pair that are outgoing, in order to not 
unduly burden one person. These are two longtime supporters, fans, friends, who have already been honored as knights and are long overdue for their Listener of the Year-ness. From across the pond, a wonderful journalist and editor, music fan, traveler, podcast guest, and feedback provider. Half your team of listeners of the year, we are pleased to announce Sir, Sir Martin of Gray. And from down south here in the U.S., because the Carolinas have always been a source of wonderful listeners for us. We have sports fan, family man, podcaster, podcast guest, and feedback giver. Half of your team of listeners of the year, we are pleased to announce Sir Luke Giaconetti. <laughs> Martin, Luke, thank you both for all your support over all these years. Which brings us to the Relatively Geeky Roundtable, to which we are inducting three new members. And because of the trouble of expanding a round table while maintaining social distancing requirements, I'm not sure that we're going to be expanding the knighthood all that frequently after this, at least for a while. But allow me to announce this year's crop of inductees. We start with someone whose name you've heard a lot over the last year on this show, a gentleman who has sent in a ton of comics to the show and has been very supportive on social media. He's also an artist, an entrepreneur, and an all-around charitable dude. From Truthful Comics, from Project New Wave, from Comics for Christmas, and now, from the Relatively Geeky Roundtable, Sir Manuel Carmona of the Tidewater. And a longtime supporter of the network, feedback giver, comics provider, sports fan, I mention this because, like Sir Luke, this sports fan's fandom often leads to comic book exchanges as the paying off of debts. Past Listener of the Year, and in the last almost two years now, a gentleman who has taken up the mantle of and lived into the role of hero. And because every band of nerds Needs a healer. Sir, Dr. Ange of the Hippocratic Oath. And lastly, but not leastly, a person who got their podcast start as a guest on Quarterbin 100 after we'd gotten to know each other on social media. And she's a delightful person when we met her at Heroes Con a number of years back, despite the crushing weight of her duties 
as chief operating officer at Longbox Crusade Enterprises and her work on the Hunters podcast. She's managed to send in some comics to the show in this last year and remain a great online friend. So joining the roundtable again from the Carolinas, the lovely Lady Laurel Flower of the Mountain. And to all, we say, Huzzah! By the way, none of these people were made aware of these honors before this episode. So please give them a few days to listen before you congratulate them. For one, you'd probably confuse them. And two, that would really spoil their surprise in listening to the episode on their own timetable. In all seriousness, all five of this year's honorees are people that I feel I've gotten to know better over the last few years in these crazy days of quarantines and lockdowns and social media and Zoom calls. Of course, that group is a lot more than these five, but but these honorees are reflective of the people that we've chatted with and messaged with during these very strange times. And all of that brings us to our final segment in which I perform a type of reading analysis similar to what I've done a few times over the years to spot any trends that we can see in my reading habits. So what I'm going to do here is give an analysis of the just over 1,750 comics that I read during 2021, which sounds like a lot, but it is in fact a drop of about 150 from the prior year. And I expect next year to read even fewer as changes at work and other things have cut my rate of reading the last few months of 2021. And that is a trend I expect to continue. First, we look at the publishers, and for 2021, DC and Marvel made up about 52% of all the comics I read with DC outpacing Marvel by about 10 points, which is about average for the last few years. Archie was again the number three publisher, but this time with a record for them, 9% reading share. This was also by far the biggest year ever for Boom at 8%. And Dark Horse did quite well also at 4%. For Boom, it was a ton of giant days, Big chunks of Irredeemable, Something is Killing the Children and Others. A lot of the Dark Horse reading was the Elf Quest, Final Quest series. Dynamite, Image, and IDW all came in between 2 to 3% each, with no one else much over 1%. In terms of the format of the books I read, there was quite a change here. For the first time, digital was not only the predominant format, it was the majority. Over 50% of the comics I read, 54%. So that's Hoopla, that's the DC digital apps and public domain books. Now, I got a tablet 
at the end of 2020. And that really made a vast improvement in terms of the reading experience of digital comics compared to just over the phone. Single-issue paper copies were 40%, their lowest rate ever. And also trades were quite low at 6%. That last one I can understand, trades. In the past, those have mostly come from the library. And with restrictions and COVID and just all those life changes that we've encountered in 2021, I haven't been there as often as I have in the past. Maybe that'll return to normal in 2022. If so, it would probably be a good sign for all of us. One other area where there was a significant change was the eras from which I read books. I break things down into decades for the most part, grouping everything before 1970 as one catch-all category. And that share of new books, which would have been books from 2020 and 2021, that dropped to 11%. It was 14% a year ago. That's the lowest share ever since I've been keeping track of that information. And that is a value that has consistently dropped each of the last five years. That's basically continually cutting back on the pull list. And it's basically zero now. And even with the DC app having books appear, was it six months after? I'm just clearly, from the numbers, not engaged with much in the way of current offerings, certainly not from DC and Marvel. The 1980s popped up a little bit, largely due to reading along with new podcasts featuring the All-Star Squadron and Batman and the Outsiders. Also, pre-1970 comics reached an all-time high. Only 8%, but still more than ever. And I was thinking that that might be simply because the older I get, the older the comic books are that I want to read. And no surprise, 2021, like every year, was a very cheap year for me. Almost three quarters of the comics I read last year, which is about the same ratio as the last few years, about three quarters were absolutely free to me. These are those few library trades. This is also Hoopla and Account the DC app. And of course, all the comics that come in from the generosity of you lovely listeners via the comic book Circle of Life. Another almost 4% are ones that I paid 1 to 24 cents for, which were the world's greatest comic super sales, which at various points had six for a dollar boxes, and at one point had dime boxes. And don't tell Stella, but this is actually the lowest year ever for reading actual books from the 25 to 49 cent range. And sadly, that's because quarter books just aren't being added to my to-be-read pile because they've become much harder to find. I have traded out my predominantly cheap bin diving from the now pretty much non-existent quarter bins up to the 50-cent bins at Pulp Reality, and that range, 50 to 99 cents, that reached an all-time high of 12%, because there just aren't quarter books anymore, and I'm having to settle for the outrageously priced 50-cent books. 
But, and I think you'll still be proud of me, only 4% of the books I read cost me a dollar or more. And literally, none were over $4.99. All that means is, like I said, no pull list, no new books other than those from the DC app or Hoopla. And also, no new annuals, no new special editions, nothing reached issue 1000 or anything like that that I had to purchase. Now, one thing I reported on for the first time last year, and I'll continue this, is the single title that I read the most of. And the clear winner this year was Giant Days, where I read all 54 issues plus three of the specials. And then 34 All-Star Squadrons, 25 each of Action, ElfQuest, Final Quest, and Hellboy, 24 issues of Irredeemable, 23 of both Archie and Superboy in the Legion, and then 20 issues each of Jonah Hex and Something is Killing the Children. Like I said earlier, a lot of Boom books. Is that three of the top ten were from Boom? And somewhere... In southern West Virginia, Ed Moore is fist-pumping. In terms of the starring character that I read the most, I did eliminate the cast of Giant Days. So for these purposes, the traditional comic characters that I read the most of was Archie. And then Batman and related characters, the Batman family, and I'm including Robin, the Huntress, uh, titles like that in there. Third, very closely behind, was the Superman family, then Spider-Man, and Iron Man, and I'm including the run of Iron Heart that I read in that Iron Man count. The Legion of Superheroes comes in sixth, followed by the dynamic duo of Betty and Veronica. Although I thought that Betty was actually going to finish ahead of Veronica because I read a single issue of Betty's Diary, in addition to a couple dozen Betty and Veronica's. So I thought that would put her ahead. But then, near the bottom of the alphabetical list that I keep, was Vampironica, and that leveled their score. Eighth place was Doctor Strange, followed by Hellboy, and then coming in tenth place was The Punisher. And it's interesting that there are a lot of Marvel characters in the top 10 characters that I read, even though I read a lot more DC Comics overall. And thinking about that, that's probably because I read more widely in DC, spreading that out over many, many more titles and more characters, while my Marvel reading is more narrow and more focused. So fewer overall books but also fewer characters or titles so those individual characters rise up the rankings. Well, okay, that was indeed a lot of talking, and I hope you enjoyed a lot of that listening. Thanks for hanging with me for this mega-sized end-of-year episode whenever you're actually listening to it. Next month, well, I have a ton of sci-fi comics on the stacks. So many, I probably won't get to them all. But the potential list includes, in addition to more Nexus, some Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, I think I have, 
Blade Runner 2099, maybe Far Sector, and or Cave Carson, and maybe even classics like Star Hunters or the Sun Devils, and of course, our buddy Adam Strange. But who really knows for sure? So whatever books I do end up reading in January, be they for hashtag sci-fi comics month or not, I'll be talking about them here in an episode that ought to be out sometime in early February. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, any of the comics I read, or if you have a feel for the types of comics you read, the Marvel DC breakdown, the digital floppy breakdown, your most read title or character. Let me know that. I'd like to hear about that. You can send that feedback via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook and blog post for this episode, if blog comments are working. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. You can follow the network on Twitter at relatively underscore geek. And, of course, the network has its own page on Facebook as well. Come join us. All are welcome. Thanks for listening, and keep the pages turning.